G apostrophe day. I believe that is the correct greeting for this part of the world. And thank you for joining me in another instalment of Which Car Weekly, your Motoring Week in review. We'll be looking at all the hottest topics from the Motoring Week that has just passed, uh, including some things that we probably would have lost our jobs for, for posting them in a proper review or story online. So join us as we discuss uh, some of the best things that have happened in the week. Uh, I'm very happy to say that we'll not be doing that by myself because I would get really bored of my own voice. Um, you're very welcome to get bored of two other people's voices because I'm joined in the studio by, as last week, Scott Newman, Motoring uh, Magazine Associate Editor. Sorry, Motor Magazine Associate Editor. Get that right, Scotty? Yeah, get it right, Dan. So welcome. I, I got it right once already. Isn't that enough? And the other corner of the studio is filled by the fabulous Matt Radonikus, 4x4 Australia Editor. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Good Dan. So... On today's chat, it is a high-power sport special, and that's not deliberate. It literally just turned out that way, didn't it? It was just that it happens to be lots of high-power things have happened in the week that's passed. We do like power, though. We do, we do, but with power comes great responsibility, they say. Uh, we're going to look at Toyota's full-fat sports car return, finally. Uh, Matt has driven something obscenely powerful with retro design. Scott is looking at which fabulously powerful McLaren you should buy, and I'll be complaining about a Mustang Special Edition. So, let's get straight into it. Toyota Supra, gentlemen. At last, after more than a year of protracted hype campaign, the thing is finally here. Hilariously, though, it actually went live just a few days before they'd intended it. So, can you think of a... Feel free to jump in... Can you think of a more protracted, drawn-out teaser campaign than the Supra? If if I did, I can't, but if I did, it would definitely have been a Toyota something else. That's very true. Yeah, it seems like we've been looking at this thing forever with various shades of camouflage on it. But yeah, looking at the final vehicle that's come out, I can see why they wanted to keep it hidden as long as possible. Oh, you're not a fan? <laughs> not a fan, Matt? Don't, like, don't think it's much to look at? No, I think it's a bit overdone. Looking at um, previous Supras, which were much more subtle. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It is quite... There's a photo in the press kit of the new one with the previous four generations, and it is quite... There's a lot, of, lot more lines on this one than the previous ones. I kind of like it. I like its sort of fat rear haunches and stuff. The ride height doesn't do much for it because, yeah, the stock ride height's quite high, but, um, yeah, I don't Spoken mind Spoken like a true motor magazine writer. Yes, that's true. You just basically say dump it. Everything we talk about no, needs to be a bit No, no, you know, it? compliance, what's good for a ride is good for handling, Daniel. That's true, but um, don't we have to think, this is a very broad customer base they're looking at here, don't we have to think about comfort a little bit as well? Yeah, absolutely, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it should ride quite well, but I think we need to talk about, yeah, the campaign itself a little bit, because it was actually, uh, it was leaked, it was leaked by everybody, really, <laughs> it was. as is the uh, as is the way in this social media age, um, but it was actually leaked by Toyota Mexico, they uploaded one of the reveal videos a couple of days early. The question is, was it deliberate to get more ink ahead of... Yeah, I mean, that is the question, isn't it? Often when we see these, and we're using it very heavily in, in inverted commas here, leaked, you know, uh, was it a deliberate effort by them? Just to just to continue the painful hype campaign just a little bit longer, and look that that continues any sort of spy shots as well that we get these days. How often really is a spy shot an accidental leak by one of the manufacturers? Yeah, we're seeing it all the time now. And Land Rover are actually putting hashtags yeah. in their camouflage on the vehicles now. Hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they're actually designing camouflage. I mean, if the car wasn't meant to be seen, then that was a coincidence, wasn't it? Well, Toyota did. Christmas wrapping paper with the camouflage pattern of the Supra 
on the Christmas wrapping paper. So, I mean, it's not as if they're short of a penny, but they're just you know trying to make ends meet by merchandise based on things that haven't launched yet. Someone from Porsche once told me that you never see a car until we want you to see it. So, you know, draw from that can, from what you will in terms of cars getting spied or snapped. Well, see the Supra we now have. And, yeah, we've already... I think it sounds like we're pretty divided on the styling. I personally think it does a good job of, of harking back to previous Supras. I think its proportions, um, its its kind of scale is pretty good. It's hit, hit the nail on the head. It's a very subjective thing, um, talking about styling. Do you think it will appeal to the masses and the people that really need to like it? It's tricky because... We don't quite know what it's going to cost yet, but it's probably going to be quite expensive. You know, I think eighty thousand dollars is maybe more. I mean, the last Z, the last top of the range Z4, so that was the Turbo Six, was one hundred and thirty grand. So therefore, you'd think the new Z4 with that engine probably will be in the rough ballpark, maybe a bit less, probably a bit less. But then, you know, the Supra can't be a lot less than that. But um, so I don't know. Is there is there a big market for an eighty thousand dollar Toyota sports car? Do you think? We will find out. I mean, speaking of pricing, there's another issue here. Pricing is out in the UK. Pricing is also out in America. Why haven't we got pricing yet? If 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 it's completely doable to give to those markets, why are we going to have to wait several months more before we get the final word on this? That's a good question. Uh, the man with us last week, Andy Enright, uh, wrote a story about this on which car. And, yeah, went into some details, but Toyota didn't have a lot of answers in terms of why, you know, Blah, 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 trying to lock down the spec, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I don't, I'm not sure, quite sure. Because it's not like they haven't had long enough to work it out. You know, they've had a year, they've known about the car even longer than we have. So, you know, why are they buying extra time now? For me, it just sounds like they're hedging their bets. You know, they're waiting to see what everyone else does. If it bombs in the UK or the US because it's too expensive or too cheap even, which is totally a thing, then maybe they can wait until the last minute to, to amend their own pricing. And how long is it before we actually get the car here? I think it's about mid-year, maybe Q3. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit after that, but I mean, you know, based on the current levels of activity, we'll probably see it sometimes at 2023. Yeah, so um, it leaves the plenty of time to adjust that pricing. But we're, we're being a bit mean to the Super because it's actually probably the car I'm most excited to drive this year. I cannot wait to drive this thing. And um, I know what you've been driving today. That's something we're going to talk about later. Yes, that's all right. That's I mean, I think, you know, I love the 86. Everyone thinks it's underpowered and I kind of get it. I think the turbo four-cylinder Supra, which we may or may not get, may, maybe later, will probably be the Turbo 86 everybody's been clamoring for. It's about the same size. It's 190 kilowatts, 400 newton meters or so, which isn't anything to sneeze at, you know, mid fives no. to 100. Um, and obviously the Turbo 6, 4.3 seconds to 100. Um, I think it'll have plenty of grunt. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be actually a cracking, cracking car. So Absolutely. Well, I, look, well worth waiting for. Um, even if it was waiting more than a year and having to put up with all that. Hopefully, when we actually get our hands on this hardware, it will be worth the wait. Uh, coming up a little bit later, we are going to talk about uh, a, a Mustang, Ford Mustang Special Edition, which is actually making me angry, even though I love that car. Uh, and we'll be talking about something you've driven just a matter of hours ago, Scotty? Yes, minutes even. But more about that later. Before then, I want to have a, just a quick mention because we're coming up to week two of Which Car Television's very own TV series that went live on Channel 10 last week. If you didn't catch the first episode, then 
frankly, I'm very disappointed and in you. you should have, because it starred both Dan and Matt in it, fine form, driving some oversized did. pickup trucks. We were in the same segment together, and we didn't kill each other, which is a wonder. If you want to catch it, you can download that and watch it uh, streaming on 10Play. It is there right now. And if you want to redeem yourself, then be in front of your sets at Sunday afternoon this week at 4 o'clock, because episode 2 is going live. And I'll be in that. So, But apart from that, I'm sure it'll be quite good. I've watched that segment, and it is well worth the watch, Scott. Now then, Matt, we need to talk about uh, what we have invited you into the studio for today. Other than your glittering personality, of course, um, you have been driving the Mercedes-AMG G63, have you not? Certainly have. It's a very interesting car to drive. Tell me, there's so much to talk about this car. Uh, Let's start with perhaps what I think is most intriguing and most important and worthy of the most praise is its styling. Yeah, it's a very different style to the old car. It still retained that big boxy look of a 40-year-old vehicle. It's pretty much what it is. Um, but they've softened off the edges. It's not quite as hard-edged in its box now. It um, yeah, rounded at the front. The windscreen's a bit more laid back. It's actually wider in the body. And when you're sitting behind the steering wheel, you can see it's wider across that big flat windscreen. Um, but yeah, it's still very much a G-Wagon. The doors still close like a Swiss bank vault. And the, the locks sound like you're locking up Fort Knox. It is a big, heavy-duty box, but this thing's got some big, heavy-duty horsepower too. Yeah, the last G-Wagon was a... I mean, I actually saw it as I coming into the car park this morning, and a, one of my best mates is a G-Wagon fanatic, so I sent him a photo immediately, oh, of course. Um, so, but essentially, the old one sort of had presence because it was kind of utilitarian and looked like a military truck. Now it's got presence kind of because it just looks really tough. Like, they've smoothed it off a little bit, and it has got, like, those flared those flared arches at the rear to cover the wider track, and it looks, it's looks it got amazing road presence. Yeah, this AMG version really turns it up with those big 22-inch wheels on it, the flares, as you say, and the bright red colour of this car. Yeah, the spec looks amazing. But one question, I'm sorry if I'm about, you're about to say this, Dan, but 4x4 Australia typically deals with off-road you know, vehicles and things that go off bush, but can you even drive this car off, you know, off a tarmac bit of road given it's wearing 22-inch rims? Yeah, the tyre spec on it is interesting. It's still got a fair bit of sidewall in them, even though they're 22-inch rims. So we took it off some light-duty off-roading this week. Didn't do too bad, but we were worried about scratching those rims. Um, I know what your off-roading is like, Matt, and when you say (laughs) light-duty, that could be something that would basically kill me. (laughs) But it's light-duty to you. So if you manage to do light-duty in inverted commas, then I would say this is actually quite competent already. But it still has all the triple diff locks and everything, doesn't it? Exactly. I was about to say that. It's got the triple diff locks. It's got plenty of wheel travel. It's I've got all the hardware for a proper off-roader. If you were to put some smaller wheels on that with some serious off-road rubber, it'd go anywhere. It's still a proper G-Wagon. This thing's just dressed to go fast as well. Something we all know, you need to go places away from the sealed road. Power, of course. Now, my this quick, has an AMG badge. My quick question is, yeah, what's it like to drive on the road? Because the last one was utterly horrendous. I mean, there's <laughs> never a greater disconnect between a car's popularity and its actual objective you know, excellence in that, you know, it, it didn't ride properly. It, as soon as you turned a corner, the electronics went crazy trying to stop you going, carrying any sort of speed in it. It looked amazing. It sounded amazing, but it was cramped inside, but you had million miles of headroom. It was just all wrong, but everyone loved it. People bought it by the truckload because they, you know, which is why they've made a new one. So it doesn't actually go and handle now. They have addressed a lot of those issues. They've got rid of that live axle from the front end. It's got an independent front suspension now. Wider wheel track gives it more stability. Uh, The electronics are a better tune. They were very old style electronics. The calibration was pretty poor on them before. It's much safer there. And 
the suspension settings are adjustable now. So you can do a comfort setting, which is nicer on the road. And then when you want to go a bit faster, you can firm it up with two different settings. So it is a far better car for driving on road. Probably not as hard edged off road as it used to be. So it is a proper AMG because it has a monstrous power plant. Um, how does it go? Or more importantly, you said just before, what is the what is the most impressive thing about this car? Yeah, the most impressive thing is the way it sounds. From the moment you start it up, it rumbles and burbles. It's got a bimodal exhaust system in it, so you can make it extra aggro. And the crazy thing about it is it's got a uh, auto stop-start function on it. <laughs> I want to be hearing this thing rumble every time I'm sitting in traffic because it is really pleasant to listen to. And I love that they put that function on this car. If you really were interested in saving fuel, you probably wouldn't have bought a three-ton off-road vehicle with a four-litre twin-turbo V8 in it. And I just love that little gesture at the end of auto stop. I just can't wait till they do this, the inevitable 6x6 six six version because the last one was one of my favourite cars. Oh, just mental. Yes, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, AMG did a very, very limited version of the previous generation G63, which did, as Scott said, has three axles and as they quite conclusively proved it can go airborne so uh, i mean that will be something we'll be testing to destruction if we ever ever drive that no i never did get a chance to drive it um mercedes-benz thought there were no right-hand drive ones in the world so they didn't want to bring one out here but we did find a couple in south africa um interesting to see if they can do it with this car because it has got that new front end um so it won't have portal axles available quite so easily Whereas the old one was just a big Meccano set, you pick and chose pieces from all over the range um, and made it what you want to be. Um, there are two components, I believe I'm, I'm right in saying, that are still carried over from the previous version. Did you know this? No, I didn't know exactly. Right, I don't know what both of them are, but I know one of them. Scott, do you know this? Uh, tell me what one of them is, and I think I might be able to, I don't know. Well, I don't know, I only know one. Yeah, well, what's that one? It's the door handle. I think the other one is like windscreen wipers or something yeah, I don't yeah. know I think it's something obscure like that yeah. so so yeah so even though that car looks and I, if I went out into the car park now you'd have to put the other one next to it for me to probably tell the difference between that one and the previous generation I reckon oh I don't know you're a, you're a bit of a train spotter yeah what well, is it like is it like the rest of the Mercedes sedan range where you definitely need to put the, you need a tape measure to tell the difference between the C the E and the S yeah I can't tell them apart anymore okay alright so it's probably a bit better than that so this car is it going to sell more on its off-road ability more on its on-road ability or the way it looks. It's going to sell more on its presence. People love the look of it. They just want to make a statement with it. Um, they're getting so much popularity now in this AMG version. Mercedes-Benz are debating bringing the the more normal version with the plain old diesel engine in it. They're saying they may not bring that here now. People are paying $250,000 plus for the AMG G63. Right. So what you're saying is just cut to the chase and go for the full fat red-blooded version. Speaking of red-blooded, my experience with this car is very surreal. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to be at the global reveal of this car, which was, bear with me here, it was in a deserted, run-down theatre in a back street of Detroit in the dead of winter, and they'd constructed a false mountain within this said run-down theatre. The roof was all falling in. It was about minus a Brazilian degrees in there, and they had amassed a lot of very important Mercedes people and their favourite people plus me um, to, to have a look at the first G-Wagon as it rolled out publicly. Um, now that in itself is quite surreal to find yourself in, in a, a theatre in Detroit at night nearly dead from hypothermia. <laughs> then, then they roll out the car and who presents it? None other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
He, Arnie himself. Arnie himself was there to say, this is the new G-Wagon. Well, he's Mr. Freeze, so he would be... Well, uh... There you go. Absolutely well. And he's, you know, he's a very muscular man. You know, it's, he's kind of the embodiment of... He's the, he's the personified G-Wagon. The, yeah, the G-Wagon is a... You know, it's an automotive Arnold, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. If you, and In fact, if you can think of a car that is more Arnie than the G-Wagon, well, I want to Isn't Arnie... Arnie's all on the green bandwagon these yeah. days, as, as when he was the California governor. So they, um, so they should definitely do a diesel version or a hybrid. Well, I think it needs an electric one now. He yeah. already has an electric one. There is a company in Europe doing electric conversions on G-Wagons. Arnie's the spokesman for that car, and he drives one around in Europe. Um, also, you look at both car, both Arnie and the G-Wagon, made in Austria. Yeah, of he, course. He's true. a big fan of them. He's got quite a few G-Wagons, and the electric is the latest one. So anyway, the, the final, the finale to this already surreal scenario was that um, the head of Mercedes-Benz Global came out with... Uh, Arnie and they did an ex- very awkward exchange of some hats uh, and then they all circulated some shot glasses full of what I was told at the time um, was uh, a very special schnapps from Arnie's hometown but actually I found out later chatting to the PR that that a massive crate of it had come into the US and it hadn't cleared customs in time so they had to get what they thought was the be- next best thing and it was basically antifreeze it was absolutely vile some kind of engine cleaner that they hand around and we were all forced to do these shots and it was one of the most unpleasant experiences of my life there you go <laughs> so there you go my experience <laughs> of the G-Wagon I hope when I get in the V8 twin turbo version it's a much more pleasant experience a little bit later we're going to talk with Scotty about your McLaren experience of just moments ago but before then I want to have a very quick rant about a Ford Mustang Special Edition. Go down. The GT500. This Why is... would you rant about this car? It's got a million bazillion horsepower and it looks crazy and what's possibly... What, what's wrong with it? I'm glad you asked. Okay. The one... The spiritual predecessor to this was, of course, the GT350, shall we? In that car, they had one of the most fabulous engines in the world, which for a start was called Voodoo. I mean, what's not to like about an engine that's called Voodoo? And the thing that I love so much about that, and forgive me if I'm going a little bit too tech speak here, it had a flat plane crank. It was a V8 with a flat plane crank. Now, only several other manufacturers in the world have done that. One of them is Ferrari. The other one's McLaren. If you can think of any more, Scotty, that'd be great. No, not off the top of my head. But... So, so Ford has created a truly wonderful engine. That was the best thing about this car. It never came to Australia, so I was bitterly disappointed about that. Then I here the gt500 we'll talk about this in a minute might be coming here and that was the best news ever then i found out it's gone back to a cross plane crank so i understand because a flat plane crank is quite a special thing basically it makes an engine rev to the i mean you're the engineer here dan but it makes basically allows engines to rev really high and sound really motorsporty i guess um the trouble is like this is someone who told someone told me who would probably know but this is all you know not, not reporting. It's not confirmed or fact or anything, but apparently they had quite a few issues with that Voodoo engine. They had their heart set on making a flat plane crank V8 because they wanted to make it like a Ferrari, but the trouble with a flat plane crank is that it creates a lot of vibration, I believe. So controlling that vibration is key, and Ford maybe thought they'd done it, but I heard they have quite a few issues with those engines and the cars getting a bit buzzy and a bit shaky, and I believe that... The 5.2 litre V8 crate engine, they use Ford usually do a crate engine of their high performance motors, yeah. is a cross plane V8, uh, cross, plane, cross plane crank, sorry, which maybe speaks volumes that they didn't replicate its, the production car's layout in the crate engine. And obviously, this GD500 has also gone to a cross plane crank. So there may be some truth to those rumours. Um, 
But I mean, the other side of that is you get with a crossplane crank, you get the traditional muscle car like chugga 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 V eight sound. Like, is it so? Is, is it such a bad thing, Dan? Right. Okay. So in uh, in response to your uh, perhaps revelation that it vibrated a bit and you know was a little bit unrefined, uh, I don't care is quite simple my simple response you know someone who's buying that kind of car doesn't care that it sits smoothly on the freeway it, i mean i would argue that perhaps the owner of that kind of car doesn't matter that you know the bonnet falls off occasionally but to own a car that is so deeply special and so limited and wonderful and sounds like it does and delivers power like it does i don't care i frankly just don't care and i, and I would say that anyone who wanted one of those wouldn't care either it's a muscle car. Expect it to shake and vibrate and be nasty. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, perhaps we don't know quite how serious those problems were. Depends if it shaked itself to pieces or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if genuinely like a wheel fell off or something. But do we like the GT500? Excited? Cool? Looks good? Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, I am. Yes, I'm excited about that. Nerdy rant aside, Dan. Yeah, all right. All right. Okay, okay. I will invite slightly more placid Dan back into the room now and say that, you know, anything that uh, could perhaps be coming to Australia that is as potent and wonderful as that car, we've got to get excited about, and I'm very behind that. Um, the question is, though, will it be coming to Australia? Sort of. So <laughs> not okay. in an official capacity because they'll make so few of them that the numbers on a right-hand drive version just wouldn't stack up. Apparently, we had buy-in. We, as been Ford Australia, had buy-in early on in the Shelby GT350 phase but i don't know they didn't quite get their message across or they didn't think they'd sell enough so ford Australia, ford us said okay we won't bother making a right hand drive version um so but there are plenty of car converters in australia um who will convert your car to right hand drive and mustang motorsport do a lot of shelby stuff a lot of mustang stuff um so they have put their hand up and said if you want a right hand drive one uh it'll cost you a hell of a lot of money we're probably talking 300 grand yeah plus maybe 400 grand or something like that but um you can have one i mean there are and you say you say that whoa that is a heap of money but there are quite a few dodge demons running around australia now which required similar amounts of conversion similar amounts of money so there are people out there who are sick of their ferraris sick of their mclarens or whatever and they want something different and you can't get much more different than having like one of you know five gt500 in australia that is, that is, I mean, yeah, unique. And we do know, typically, that Australians are a nation and we are very happy to spend a significant amount of wedge on our passion, which is fast cars. And they'll have supercar performance. I mean, 700 horsepower plus. Um, it's quite heavy. It's almost two tonnes, but, you know, cup tyres, massive brakes. Yeah, it should be fantastic. I cannot wait to see what you, Scott Newman, do at the wheel of a GT500 Mustang. I've seen the antics and the, <laughs> frankly, outrageous behaviour that happens when you get behind the wheel of a Mustang, and this thing has a billion horsepower. I will probably drive it very placidly to do the groceries. Absolute nonsense, and we know it. Tyres be gone. <laughs> How much are 315mm wide Cup 2s? I don't know. Yeah. I should know. Um, I think they're about X dollars. More than I earn in a week, that's for sure. Definitely. Okay, um, now then, if you hadn't already twigged, then I'm very excited about the next episode of Which Car TV coming. I am going to repeat it because you do need to tune in on Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock on Channel 10 to watch this chap, as we were just talking about, go berserk at the wheel of, what was it, a Mustang Super Snake? No, I think it's the regular Mustang this week. It's uh, the regular 2018 Mustang, um, but good. in a future episode you'll be able to see Shelby Super Snake. Uh, I drove that around a track and it was a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, this week is the 2018 Mustang. We do it on dyno, we do it on drag strip, we do it on road, and basically find out if they've improved this latest generation. 
And I go to Japan in a Mazda MX-5 and I catch up with some Mazda rotary mentalists at the Fuji Speedway. So it's definitely worth uh, a watch. Arigato. Channel 10, Sunday afternoon, 4pm. Now then, Scott, you've spent the... It's been a tough day in the office for you, hasn't it? It's been a dreadful day, Dan. Because you headed out in a vehicle that I have been almost physically excited about for quite some time. That doesn't surprise me. Um, it is, of course, the McLaren 600LT. Yes, I'm a very lucky fellow today because my working day has consisted of test driving the new McLaren 600LT. Uh, McLaren's local people got in touch with us and said, hey, over Christmas our 600LT has arrived in Melbourne. Wouldn't you possibly like to drive it? It's only here for the next two weeks. So as you imagine... The entire calendar got thrown in the bin, and we booked the 600LT in, and I went out with our ace photographer, Nathan Jacobs, this morning to do a few road miles in it. Um, anything you'd like to know? Uh, yeah, only everything. Where to start? Okay, so first of all, no, look, we'll get onto the complex questions about you know where it sits in the range and what you'd have, but first of all, is it quick? Come on, that's what we really want to know. It's very, 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 very quick. Yes. It's really nicely quick. Um, we mentioned last <laughs> That's week. That's a lovely expression, nicely quick. Well, because the last McLaren I drove was a 720S, and it was almost physically assaulting. It's so fast. Like, it is it is borderline terrifying. Like, speed, most cars you can get used to after a certain point. Never got used to the speed in that. So, which was kind of fun in a kind of scary way, but mm. the 600LTs are rung down from that. It is, don't get me wrong, it is ludic- ludicrously quick. It mm. can, you know, fry your brain. But... It doesn't feel overwhelming. And what's important, I guess, is that it doesn't feel out of step with the rest of the car. Okay. Oh, right. Well, that's a very important note to make. It is. Like, in in the 720S, you could sometimes feel like you had to sacrifice the rest of the driving experience to make the most of the engine. Whereas this, you're like, oh, this is a complete homogenous package. Right. Scott, you're saying you put that out on some road miles this morning. Where do you find a road to test a vehicle like that? Very good point also. Um, well, we have lots of nice roads in Victoria, and some of them have a 110 kilometre an hour speed limit, so you can... Yeah, but how quickly will a 600LT get to aforementioned 110 kilometre an hour speed then? Probably in about, th- oh, I think it's about 3.2, 3.3 seconds. <laughs> so you don't get to enjoy it for very long, It's of like course. two gears and... Three Not even that, sec- I think second gear goes beyond 110, so... That is absurd. Yes. So, okay, how much is it? It is, so base price, it is $450,000, I think 455 exactly. But as ever with the supercar makers, that is just the beginning because they present you with a lovely long options list, yeah. which you are, you are encouraged to tick from, and our car as tested, I think, was $556,000. Hang on, so that's got nearly another... I don't, $100,000 plus worth of options. That's ridiculous. And it, I've seen the car. It's grey for a start. It doesn't have colourful brake calipers. It doesn't have colourful seat belts. It doesn't have a jukebox or jacuzzi in the back. Where is the extra hundred grand in that car? Well, it's got a lot of carbon on it, and carbon is very expensive. I don't know whether it... No, hang on. I can't... The, the company that perfected making stuff out of carbon fibre has no right to charge you excessive amounts of money for more of it. It's what they do. Yeah, but customers will pay it. So, But, I mean, the, the other thing with the supercars is... You know, I haven't looked at the in-depth in the specs list, but it will be stuff like, you know, reversing camera will be like $11 million. And, Something that is standard on you know, just about everything. Wheel nuts will be an extra $50,000. Air, if you yeah. want air in the cabin. You know, yeah. like, I don't mean the air conditioning. I mean, actually, if yeah. you want some atmospheric air in the cabin. Yes. 
I mean, on the one hand, you go, this is ridiculous. Like, Apple CarPlay and a Ferrari, something like $9,000. Like, literally $9,000. That's not hyperbole. Um, but on the other hand, clever business people. If you've got people lining up around the block to put $100,000 worth of options on their cars, the margin on options is quite healthy, I believe. Okay, so I'm going to go from, here's this typical me, isn't it? You know, devil's advocate all the way. On the one hand, I've been saying it's too expensive. But now, actually, 400 and whatever it is, starting price? That's actually not that expensive, is when it? When you look at the cars it's up against, the probably the Porsche GT2 RS uh, and Ferrari 488 Pista, it does look like bargain is probably stretching the definition of the word. But <laughs> it's your money. I don't yes. think you can really say it's a bargain. But, um, you know, it is reasonable value. I mean, it has the performance. It has the ability. It has, you know, all that other supercar looks to exist in that sphere of that ultra-rarefied, special edition, track-only supercar kind of thing um, for, you know, less money. But I suppose it doesn't really matter at that, you know, at, at that at that level of the market, if you want it, you buy it. Totally, 100%. And if you are a McLaren person, you're going to buy the McLaren. You're not thinking about a Lamborghini. You're not thinking about a Ferrari. You're going to buy the McLaren. You've probably got all of them already. Which is where their business model is genius, and and including all of these extra variants and special editions within the range. Because pr- until very recently, there was literally only a couple of cars you'd get if you wanted that badge. And it's got those high-rise exhausts coming out the back. It's oh. worth the price of admission alone. Oh, absolutely. That's actually one of the... It's funny you bring those up because McLarens have always been... I've been lucky enough to drive quite a few, and they are technically brilliant. But maybe they don't give you that fizz. Like, for some other people, there would maybe be a bit, of a bit of a fizz. But for me, personally, but this car has a real healthy dose of character to it. You downshift, and it goes bang on the exhaust, and you can see the heat haze coming oh, out of the exhaust. Wonderful. Get it hot enough, it will spit flames. Oh. So, calm down, calm. Um, so, you'll be able to read uh, all about the 600 LT in a, you know, online and in a future issue of Moda. But I'll give you the very quick synopsis, the Twitter version. It is brilliant and actually better than I thought it would be. feels markedly better than the 570S it's based on. It's a very, very special bit of kit. Cannot wait to hear the full story, Scott, and also fawn over the pictures because that is one of the sexiest part of this whole car. Gentlemen, I can't believe it, but that is us done for yet another week. Thank you very much, Matt Rodonicus and Scott Newman, for joining me in the studio. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Uh, now, next week, we have all kinds of exciting things coming up. Not only will we have the week in review, and I have no idea what's going to be happening next week, a couple of things are happening. I will be back from Bahrain, where I will be driving a very special Lamborghini Huracan, and the WRC will have started when it's Scott, which I know you're very excited about. <laughs> Um, in the meantime, do feel free to get in touch. There's plenty of ways you can do that. We have, of course, our website, whichcar.com.au. And, of course, get in touch via the social media channels. We're all over everything. And, of course, if you haven't yet tuned into television, uh, Which Car is on Channel 10 on Sunday afternoons, 4pm. In the meantime, my name has been Daniel Gardner, as it will continue to be, hopefully, until next week, unless something terrible has happened. And I hope you join us again for another instalment of Which Car Weekly. <laughs>